Well, hey, for those of you that are joining us online, which Chris said is thousands today, uh, it's good for you to be here and everyone that's here. It's even cooler. I mean, I want to give you props. Who, who, who drove the furthest to get here today? No, it wasn't me. I think Keith or Lucas. Who else? Anyone drive like for, what was it, Lucas? Like 40 minutes for you? Anyone beat that? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. But, um, well, hey, it's good to be here. And I hope if you're cozy with your hot chocolate or your coffee, you're enjoying that uh, too. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And does anyone have a testimony they want to share? Just anything great God's done? Maybe something that's happened in your house group, or you shared the love of Jesus with someone, or just something God did where he showed up to meet one of your prayer needs. Anyone have anything today they want to share? Lynn, Lucas is coming, coming for you. Thanks. Um, our home group, we've had a person start coming uh, whose husband was just um, just died in a car accident, and her name is Patty, and she doesn't come to church here, but she does go to church. But she started coming to our home group, and um, she didn't know any of us before she started coming. And this past week, she was just telling us how much she appreciated the group and just how much we have been a new family to her, and the prayers have really helped. And it just makes you appreciate your community so much when you have something like that happen mm. and a person that um was in a bad place for a while and and the, the just getting better through the love and prayers of a lot of people that just cared about her mm. that's awesome thanks lynn that's good yeah it's here for that that's that's cool and that's 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 why we do that's why we do house groups like this is kind of coming to church but that's more like being the church and loving people uh, just through through tragedy and through just parts of life that are really, um, yeah, just kind of easier to do that stuff in a in a family, isn't it? In a family environment, because sometimes people can walk in here with really heavy stuff, and you might not not know that someone's had the worst day or worst week or worst time of their life. But like in that smaller environment where people can share and they can be open and honest. So if you're wondering like why are house groups important, because unfortunately. Every one of us will walk through times like that. Not saying exact, but every one of us will walk through loss, through pain, through tragedy, through embarrassment, through ruin. And it's just a lot easier to get through with the body of Christ. So thank you guys. That's, that's, that's a great story. Um, well, we've had some very interesting and in-depth conversations over the last few weeks about um, the topic of sex. And we've covered, we've uncovered what can unhealthy sexuality look like. And last, uh, last week, my good friend Chuck Moore shared his testimony of his brokenness, of things his own dad did to him, and other choices um, he made, just kind of living out of the pain, repeating pain. And um, today, I... I know there's probably lots of questions swirling. And I know there's been some people who have been uncomfortable with this. And some it's been pretty in your face or been pretty heavy. Or um, maybe some of you are like, no, this is great. Like, I need to hear this. Or just like, give me more. I want to know more. But um, whatever's swirling, we want to take a deeper dive today at what healthy sexuality looks like. And you've heard me say before that a lot of times it's easier to um, define something sometimes by what it's not than defining what it is. 
And what we've unpacked the last couple weeks are things that are clearly not healthy. Clearly not healthy. Pornography. Um, pornography, affairs, uh, some of the same sex stuff people are wrestling with, the uh, broken marriages, the, you know, the things that have happened to people that have ruined their lives or ruined other people's lives. And so what we want to talk today is about what is healthy sexuality. And I would say we can define what healthy sexuality is also by defining where it takes place. Because I'll tell you today, irrespective of our thoughts or our opinions or maybe our experiences, that if we step outside of the boundaries that are put forth in this book, like the parameters set forth in the Bible, and where the Bible intends sexuality to happen, it will never be healthy. So today, we're going to define what and we're going to define where. And, and I think the, the problem is so many of us receive bad information, no information, or misinformation about sex. I've maybe said before, my parents were young teenage parents, got pregnant with my sister when they were 17, and the best move my parents ever had for me was don't get her pregnant. Wear one of these. That was the best advice I ever received growing up. My parents didn't talk about it. Maybe they didn't feel like they had the skills or the right. They just kind of didn't want me to make the same mistake that they make, but there wasn't really anything about um, practicing a life of holiness or also obedience or honoring God with my choices. <clears throat> it wasn't about how I could serve someone else. It was all about, hey, if you gotta do it, just make sure you're smart. Don't get an STD or don't get her pregnant. And what we want is deep, lasting <clears throat> healing for people that have been broken, but we also want good baselines and we want good ideology for people that are younger. So for some of you younger people are like, man, I don't even know, I'm not thinking about this stuff all the time. Like Solomon says, like, that, that to the, like from the teacher or from the parent, like, my son, my daughter, listen to these words I'm saying. Listen to what, I'm, what I can tell you. Because Solomon was a guy who was unchecked. And his life, just like his dad's, got ruined by unhealthy sexuality. And Solomon's saying to a younger generation, like, and I'll tell you this, knowledge is learning from your own mistakes. Wisdom's learning from mine. Wisdom's learning from other people's mistakes. So if you want wisdom, hear the voice of the Lord, watch other people make mistakes, and you can op operate in wisdom by not emulating what they're doing. Knowledge, you don't have to know something firsthand. People are like, well, how could Jesus have whatever, like on marriage, because he wasn't married. Like, listen, Jesus didn't have to be married to give us advice on marriage because he could just watch the world around him unfold and crumble and so you don't have to have a bad experience to give someone good advice. But I will tell you, from those of us who have made really bad choices and had bad experiences, here's some wisdom today. Um, sex is only healthy, only healthy when it ha happens in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman committed to each other and to God. That's the only way it's healthy. You might read Cosmopolitan, you might read Playboy, you might watch this show, you might hear Dr. Phil, but the only way that God says it's gonna work is within the constructs he's given us. 
It's not a marriage between two men or two women, or it's not an open marriage. It's not try it before you buy it. It's not living together before you get married. The only way that we can operate in healthy sexuality <clears throat> if we do it the right way, if we do it God's way. And that's between a loving, committed union between one man, one woman, under God for their whole lives. And so to a lot of people in this day and age, that sounds fuddy-duddy, that sounds antiquated, that sounds um, off. And there's gonna be a lot of times when your body is going to compete with that conventional wisdom. But if you look, like I said, you don't have to experience it to watch the world because I don't know if anyone's ever had this, like, you know, I, there was someone that I was talking to a couple years ago and they were so ready to jump into an affair because their friend at work convinced them how awesome it was. And this friend told him, well, it saved my marriage having an affair. And my friend was about to take the bait hook, line, and sinker about to take the bait because they were getting duped by this romance and oh no, my wife just didn't meet my needs and we weren't compatible and all this other stuff. But now I got this other person over here and I can just receive from my wife and I'm not so demanding in the bedroom. And it was like, and my friend's thinking, well, is this a good idea for me? The answer's no. <laughs> the answer's no. Proverbs says that the one, the one who commits adultery drops a fire in their lap drops a fire in their lap. Look, I remember one time I was camping and we're just sitting there eating and we're all, we're all wearing like these coveralls and my, but my friend is wearing jeans and it's so cold that he drops, that he's like eating something, he's playing with fire and he drops on his leg and it starts burning through his jeans. But he was so numb from the cold that he couldn't feel it. And also I'm like, dude, your pants are on fire. He's like, what? He jumps up and he couldn't even feel it. He brushes it off, but then he's got blisters on his legs because he had, this part of him had gotten numb and had gotten desensitized that he didn't even realize what was happening. That's what sin, that's what the world, that's what um, our choices can do is they can numb us, they can make us cold to where we're desensitized to the fire we're in. That can happen to us. And we see clearly early on in the, in the Bible, in the biblical narrative, that the Lord commissioned spouses to be one man and one woman, to be faithful, to make children, to rear them in a way that brings glory to God. God called this union good, fruitful, and sweet. It was meant to be a lasting privilege and provision. Say those words with me. It was meant to be lasting privilege and provision. Okay? So God said, if you supply me the faithfulness, you supply me your heart, I will provide. I will provide you a spouse. So today what we're gonna talk about, like I said, is we're gonna talk about God's plans and God's parameters. Say plans. Parameters. Because this is about a relationship and responsibility. And every good relationship has some rules of engagement. It's not just some loosey-goosey, Scooby-Doo ending, 60s show, right? Any good relationship has responsibility that's governed by some rules of engagement. It's, it's governed by, by, um, by these things that, um, predictable patterns that are 
consistency speaks to our sincerity. And so I want you to open up the Bible with me to Genesis chapter one, verses 20 and 27, it says this. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Next slide. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, there was morning on the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Next slide. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw his good and said, let us make man in our, in our image after our likeness. Let them, have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, next slide, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And so in there, that in all these things, according to their kinds, God said, I'm making you, and that I'm also making you with this plan, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. What that means is that fruitfulness comes from sexual union. Whether you're a grasshopper or you're a snake or you're an ox or you're a person, that comes from a sexual union. That fruitfulness was to be fruitful and multiply. But it's very interesting when we look in this Bible story is, is we see that God kept saying everything he created was good. That God in this creation said it was good. He seemed to enjoy it. It seemed to be a lot of work, so much so that God himself rested. He rested just to enjoy what he'd made. And friends, I think part of sexuality is it, it, it's, it's not just meant for procreation. There's some people out there that, that were taught that like, no, you just... You just basically like like a dog when they're when you're in heat. That's the time to go because it's for making more puppies. Sex is for that, but that's not all. Sex is for like sex is actually meant like you see. God said it's for their enjoyment, and it was good. I mean, God didn't make Adam and Eve with clothes on, did he? He made them naked. I think there was something that God made us that like Adam and Eve would look at one another, and there would be a joy and a satisfaction and like a fulfillment. And in most cases. We look and we see men are attracted to women and women are attracted to men. And God made it to be like that. He made us pleasing to each other's eyes. He made us pleasing to the heart possibly and he made us in a way that the fruit was supposed to be pleasurable. So in this plan, in God's initial plan, that there was a purpose in it was to procreate the world, was to fill the earth, right? for there to be more and more of whatever kind that there was, to join him in populating the earth. Us having children is the same thing, but it's interesting that God made this union pleasurable or it's supposed to be pleasurable. Now, there's a lot of people who have never had a pleasurable sexual experience in their life because of... Um, Maybe how your first one happened or maybe what you learned or maybe like I, 
I went to Bible college, okay? And like, I remember when I went to Bible college, every girl that was an eight to 10 was engaged or married by the end of her first year. Like an eight to 10 in look scale, okay? Like if you were really attractive, there was no way you were getting out of there unengaged your first year. Or if maybe you were a four to seven, maybe you're like a marginally good looking girl you were engaged at least by your second year. Because it was a bunch of desperate dudes who had been told, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, and they get them to, to Bible college, like you can't have sex till you're married, and they're just like, you know, wound up, wrapping themselves up in carpet or styrofoam, and they're just like peering out for the, for the most like willing girl to marry them or like them, and they get there, and all the girls are really ready too, because everyone's waiting, and then it's just this big cosmic, hey, let's get married our first year of school fest, because really, we can't wait to have sex. Because we just think marriage is about sex because you're told, oh, you can't have sex till you get married. You can't have sex, sex till you get married. And it's like they, in this Bible college context, like it was cheap and that like it, getting married was just about getting some. And like I remember um, a couple days uh, like before I got married, my senior year, I waited because I wasn't a 10. <laughs> <laughs> I did marry one though, but I'm not. Um, but like I remember... One of my friends walks like by in the hall, puts his hand up, this big old dude named Beef, and he said, Snow, congratulations. And I'm like, what? He's like, tomorrow you're gonna be like Jordan. You'll be able to score at will. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I had no idea what, what all this meant. I had no idea what it meant to, because um, sex wasn't just about me getting something. It wasn't just about me giving something. Sex was meant for things that were beyond just my taking or just having babies. I think one of the things that God really means for sex to be is in a loving, in a committed, in a submitted, mutually submitted relationship. Now, a lot of times the church has just talked about, well, women are supposed to submit to men. And so women are just kind of thankless baby machines. And for a lot of women, sex has just been a terrible exercise. You've been objectified in your life, not just in the church, but by other men, for your looks or for your build or for the fact that, uh, like, you're a female, men have mistreated you. Maybe from the moment you were born, you were hearing terrible messages about, about women, about what being a woman meant. And to a lot of women, sex is a dirty, ugly, thankless thing. And to a lot of men, it's just like, you know, it's, like, it's what it is. It's conquest. It's about me. And I think what God means for marriage is when he, he made, he said for Adam, he said like in the next, in Genesis, the next chapter, he talks about it's not good for man to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And sex is not meant to be a solo act either with yourself or just using another person. Because there's a lot of people that use their spouse for sex. There's people that at times when you're having sex, you envision you're with someone else. Or maybe you're receiving sex and you envision that you're somewhere else. Or maybe you're just fighting through the pain. You're fighting through the challenges. Like you hate it. Maybe you hate your body. Maybe you hate your spouse. Maybe you hate this whole act and it just all feels so gross and so lonely. That's not what God meant for sex to be. 
He didn't mean for it to be like that. He meant for it to be an unashamed thing. He meant for it to be a free thing. Not free in the sense of like, that you just give it away to whoever willy-nilly, but he, meant, he made Adam and Eve without clothes on. He meant to be a, a thing where we could be fully expressive, fully unified, fully connected to another person. And that might feel like a lot. You might be like, dude, this is kind of grossing me out. This is like on the edge. <clears throat> but this is what healthy sexuality is. And if we're just gonna talk about the dirty stuff and never about the real stuff, then people just walk away with shame. Because we all know about the dirty stuff, right? We've all thought about it. We've all experienced it. Or maybe we've been hurt by other people who thought about and experienced. But this sex is for so much more than just making babies. Sex is for so much more than just one person being pleased or having like an orgasm. Now, God made sex pleasurable, and that's why I think it's so destructive because it's, it's pleasure can be, you know, it, it, it's, it's a high. I mean, the same chemicals are released in our brains, dopamine, when we're craving and having sex is when you snort cocaine. Your brain is releasing the same, the same chemicals. Isn't that crazy? So there's something about it God meant to be very pleasurable. But there's also something about it in that pleasure, there's an intense potential for destruction and pain. Because like the Bible goes on to talk about, it says any other sin that that a person commits is outside of their body. But sex, when we commit sexual sin, it's against our bodies. It's against other people's bodies. And Paul says the one who unites themselves with a prostitute becomes one with that prostitute in the sense that like everyone we've ever been with or will be with, you, you get a piece of them, they get a piece of you. And it's not always the desirable stuff. And so there's this thing that God meant for sex to be solely within the confines of a of a unified, loving marriage, but not just to a bunch of teenagers that have been waiting like their whole lives, you know, wearing chastity belts and can't wait to get married just so they can have sex. Marriage is so much more than that. Sex is so much more than that. But sex is, is for pleasure. It's not just a thing once a year, like I said, the anniversary or when it's time to have babies. Lots of research shows us that couples that have unhealthy marriages have unhealthy sex lives. What's the frequency? I don't know, but I think if you're like months or years of never having it, I would say that's really unhealthy. I would say if you are, you know, if, 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 if it's never entered into mutually and it's willfully on both ends, I would say it's unhealthy. If one person is just always receiving and another person's giving, that's not healthy. I don't know how frequently is enough, But I also know that the Bible talks about don't withhold except by mutual consent lest the enemy come and tempt you. Wives, your sex drive for a lot of your lives is different than your husband's. It's just different. Not saying in every case, but a lot of times the male sex drive is stronger or more frequent. Sex is not a weapon and sex is not just for pleasure. It is, it, it is sinful to only have sex with your spouse if they beg you, coerce you, or when you feel like it. On the flip side, it's also sinful to always beg, to always like coerce, and always try to get them to feel like it. Sex is about us giving ourselves to another. 
I think when God said, let us make man in our own image, there was this thing where God and Jesus were creating the universe together. That, and so I don't know how it works, but us together, when we're recreating, when we're enjoying this celebration of what God was doing in heaven, that it's meant to be pleasurable, it's meant to be personable, but it's very purposeful too. And I think there's a lot of marriages that fall apart because um, of, like, like the two biggest reasons, and you don't have to be an anthropologist, sociologist, or psychologist to know this, the biggest reasons marriages fall apart are sex and money. Those are the biggest reasons. A lot of people have affairs, and a lot of people work way too much, and you grow apart. But sex is just not always, and, and if, if, if you believe, well, we're just not that compatible sexually. We're just not that compatible. I want it all the time, and he never does, or I want it all the time, and she's just, we're just not very compatible. No, it's just what you're saying is your, your needs are not being met, and you're mad at them. So you want to go somewhere else and get your needs met. Just say that. Because at one point in time, you were compatible or you wouldn't be together, you wouldn't be married. At one point in time, you loved the other person. One point in time, the other person did something for you. And I don't want to just write it all off like it's just that, but like sex is more, sex is for, is for reproduction. But have we ever thought like our sexuality is for God too? Has anyone ever tried? Like maybe before you go, like Pray. Pray with your spouse. Maybe you've been very wounded by this. Maybe your spouse has been very wounded by this. Have you ever tried praying? And I'm not saying that like you haven't. If you have, great. I've not done that near enough times in my life that God would bless what's gonna happen. Like, it, it, it honors him. I believe it can be a worshipful act. It, all over the world, all throughout history, there have been shrines where, like, Sex is part of the worship. And I think Christians running so far the other way that we forgot that God made our bodies that Paul talks about like in that first Corinthians, you know, six and seven, where he talks about we worship God with our bodies. Like our unions with our spouses is meant to be an act of creation, an act of pleasure, but I also believe an act of worship. Like what if our sex was, if we saw it as worship to God? Do you know that when we honor God with what he gave us, that it's always worship to him? When I treat people like he wants me to treat them, I'm worshiping him. When I treat my spouse with respect, I'm worshiping him. I'm giving him worth. Worship means worth-ship. So in our sexual unions as couples, when we give that time to God and we say, I'm forsaking all others except you, I'm forsaking all others except you, we're saying, God, I worship you with the person you gave me. I honor my commitments with the one you gave me. I'm forsaking all others. I worship you with my body when you told me to submit myself to someone else. You told me to submit my life. When you said it's better that I'm not alone, I'm worshiping you with my body. And that might sound weird to you, but I think that Christians in a lot of ways have just run the other way because we don't wanna be associated with the temple shrines. We don't wanna be associated with these deviant, uh, paganistic acts of worship. Now, they're not meant to be in front of a camera or with lots of other people around. It's not meant to be that. But I think that they're onto something that there is a worship about it. 
Because we see that God said when they multiplied, when he made them and they're fruitful and they're multiplied, he said it was good. It was good. At the end, don't we all wanna look at God and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You worshiped me. You gave me the place I deserved in your life, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your job, in your conversations, with your money. All this stuff's about worship. Why wouldn't sex be? I mean, so many of us worship it inadvertently anyways, don't we? By thinking about it too much or thinking about it wrongly or thinking about it foolishly or maybe you're sexually anorexic where you don't think about it at all because you've been so hurt by it that you just can't even imagine it. Could be for you. God wants to bring balance in our lives. Now, marriage is not all about sex. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what my contemporaries and myself misguidedly thought, that, oh, you'll score at will, just be that. It's not about that. But just like a healthy diet includes some vegetables, I think a healthy marriage includes sex. I think it does. And I would say that God wants us, like everything else, this quest for the radical middle. He wants her to be a middle ground. Like I said, usually one of the partners has a way stronger drive than the other, either, either male or female. But the quest for the radical middle brings us, brings us to a place where it's like, hey, if I'm the one who doesn't ever want it, and I say, well, but I know that's a need of yours, I wanna serve you. But also the person that always wants it, maybe the person that doesn't, you would hope they would say, I'm not always gonna hound you because I wanna serve you. Let's meet in the middle. Either or, I don't think is gonna be very pleasing to God on this subject. It's about mutual submission. Paul tells us to love our wives. Men, lay down your lives as Jesus did for the church. Jesus didn't demand worship, affection, or demand anyone give themselves. He's not gonna force us. But it's always gonna be healthier if we're mutually submitting to one another. And so like I said, I, I know this is a lot and I know this is crazy, but it's, it, we just wanna take a balanced approach. And so I'm not trying to gross anyone out. Like I'm not telling you, I'll go home and do this twice a week or whatever. We're not trying to do that. But I'm saying, I think more frequently than once a month, every couple months or once a year is probably good. Birthdays, anniversary, but still, if you, what if you're? <laughs> that's for someone. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what to do. Um, but, but it's you know what it's also for? It's also for parenting. Do you know that when we now we're not, it's 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 wrong to talk about your sex life to your kids, okay? If you complain to your kids or your grandkids about your sex life, that's that's not right. You don't wanna cleanse your conscience and defile theirs, seriously. But do you know when we have loving, appropriate unions with our spouses, we bless our kids? Because just like there's things that pass through us to other people or that pass on to us that we asked for or didn't ask for, do you know we can do the same thing when we make godly choices with our sexuality? Like we, when, when there's not a load of sexual tension in a marriage, like your kids might not know what that tension is, but when there's always a coldness and a tension or a closeness, when one spouse tries to touch another and their one jerks away, like, do you, listen, no one owes you anything if Jesus paid it all. 
So if you're constantly making that person pay you back for something they've done or how they hurt you, you're in sin. If you're constantly cold to someone who needs your forgiveness and your grace, you're in sin. But if you're constantly trying to force someone to forgive you and trying to, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal what happened, that's sin. It's about deferring to one another and letting the life of Jesus wash through us and over us and pour out to the people we're around. That's what this stuff's about. And so it's about, so when we parent, do you know we always give what we have or we can't give what we don't have? And so there's this thing that happens in parenting that we pass our stuff along to our kids, like it or not. So you might be, I read a story years ago. It just, it rocked my world. Um, this guy was talking about, well, this guy was a, a businessman, upstanding guy, elder at church, but he had a very secret pornography addiction. And he never took it very seriously. And one day he gets on to look at some pornography and who does he see but his daughter? He sees his daughter on pornography. He thought he'd kept this thing buttoned up his whole life. He thought it was just, I'm a good guy with a, with a problem. But then he sees his daughter engaged in pornography. The very kind of pornography he was watching, by the way. Because he saw her. She had no idea about their problems, but that stuff passed along. See, it's not such a private thing that it doesn't leak out of us. <laughs> oh, stop. I was getting ready to... Um, so, you know, we parent well when we love our spouses the right way and we pass the right thing because we want our kids to be healthy. We want our kids to have healthy unions. We want our kids to have great marriages. We want our kids to honor God. And it, 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 the one thing that makes marriage different than any other relationship on the earth, or it's supposed to, is sex. It's the only thing that's supposed to be different about marriage. In that sense, because you can, you can sleep in the same bed as someone, or you can have a roommate. Anyone like ever had a roommate? I had roommates in college, and I never busted it up with them or anything like that. But like, had we did, like that would have changed the relationship. Marriage, the thing that makes it different is sex. That's the thing that makes it different. That's why Jesus gives the one caveat that except for this, you shouldn't divorce. Unless sex enters from outside of the marriage, that you're not supposed to, because the one thing that's supposed to make that one relationship different is that sex was saved for it and relegated only to it. That's what marriage, that's the thing that sets it apart. So when we invite other people in, maybe from our pasts, or maybe um, things we, we watch or things we do, like friends, I, I'll just tell you this, I'm, I'm not like, Watching stuff with like lots of sex or reading stuff about lots of sex and nudity, none of that stuff's ever about marriages. It's always illicit stuff. Just like if you wanna know if it honors God, like 90% of the things on Netflix don't honor God. You don't honor your spouse or God. I don't honor my spouse or God when I'm watching that stuff or if I watch that stuff. It doesn't. It's, it's not, and you're like, whoa, well that's, that's prudish, that's whatever. It's like, just 
turn that stuff off for a while and see if you don't feel a little bit more inclined towards heaven. There's something about being set apart that makes something holy. So when we set sex apart for our marriage, when we set ourselves apart for our marriage and our spouse, when we set our lives and our eyes and our minds apart from God, that's where the worship happens. That's where the holiness happens, is it's set apart holy for God. Uh, this guy, Ted Roberts, says in, in his great book, Pure Desire, God planned for marriage to be a shelter from the storm, not a storm. We often walk away from God long before we walk away from our spouses. The ultimate purpose of marriage is not just intimacy or procreation, but for character growth and Christ-likeness. How we treat our mates and our bodies says a lot about how eternity will play out for us. Our spouses are just not meant for our enjoyment or for our usage. So many of us are consumers of people. Where we spend way more time each day in front of a phone or in front of a mirror than we do in front of God. Or we do present with others. Guys, your wife's gonna be a lot more inclined to engage you sexually, physically, if you're available for her throughout the day. Every time she calls or texts you, if you're like, I'm busy, I'm busier. Can you quit calling or what now? And then later on when she's tired and had a long day and then you're ready to go and you're like upset, like it's, it's you gotta be available. We gotta be present for each other. We gotta show worth to one another. It's about being available. It's about being submitted. Like I'm Carla's husband all day. All day, I got a beer husband. All day when another woman walks by. All day when something comes on TV. All day when an urge comes into my mind. All day when an old thought or something pops up online or when I see clickbait at the bottom of that story. All day, that's my wife. All day. God, our God is the same way. And marriage is the union that most closely mirrors what happens in heaven between him and us. He calls us his bride. God calls us his bride in Ephesians chapter five. It says this, turn with me to Ephesians five real quick. Submitting to one another is out of reverence for, for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and submits himself as its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Go next. And I note to people, oh, that's old fashioned, but Husbands, love your wives. Love is actually the way stronger word than submit here. Love is like, I'm gonna entirely take it for the team. Because Jesus says, love, greater love has no one than this and the one who lays down their lives are friends. See, they wanted Jesus to submit. Jesus said, I'm not gonna submit to you, but I'll love you. So women, you might say, oh, that's old fashioned. Like the, the harder charge here is to men to lay it all down. Because Jesus as Christ it's easier to give maybe to Christ than to give what Jesus gave, because Jesus gave it all. And we have a, a, a country full of men that don't give it all. That, that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Wanna hang out there for a minute, go back. Cleansed her by the washing of the water 
with the word. You know what that's talking about, that cleansing, where it says Jesus, he says, I constantly make prayers and intercession for you. There's a Hebrew sense of they would stand there with the water and the oil constantly with like almost these like fans on these sticks, the cleansing and intercession that they were constantly making intercession for. Like husbands, are you constantly praying for your wives? Do you think about honoring her in God's eyes as much as you think about having sex with her or how much she's not having sex with you? Because that cleansing and that washing with the word, are you a man of the word? Are you loving your family in a way that says like, I care about all this, not just what I get some nights. Are you washing your family in the word and in prayer? Because you can't expect a woman, women wanna, I, I believe people wanna follow that kind of leadership. I believe churches wanna follow that kind of leader. I believe wives wanna follow those kind of husbands. I believe kids wanna follow those kind of fathers, people who are on their faces and in the word. And not just pushing it on other people, but living it out. Go to the next slide, please. In the same ways, husbands should love their wives their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ as a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Next slide. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Friends, healthy sexuality first happens in a, a healthy relationship towards God and a healthy relationship with each other. Sex is not the defining thing of marriage, it's a distinction of marriage. Distinction and definition are not the same thing. But a lot of times things that distinguish can define if there's too much or not enough. So really what healthy sexuality is is about being a person who's faithfully connected to God, faithfully connected to his plan, faithfully engaged in honoring God's parameters and God's purpose. And it's about mutual submission. It's about laying down our lives, about the husband laying down his life for his wife and for the church and for God and for his children. And about the woman saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in the submission of the spirit. I'm not saying you follow people off a cliff, but God does want us to defer to one another. So I could go on about this for days, but it, I, there's, we don't need to do that. And I know the snow is coming down hard and some people wanna get home. But I wanna encourage you to really look at God's word the plans, purpose, and parameters are all in here. Anything outside of here, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get something when God looks at it and says, it's good. And I know none of us is gonna be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect situation. But don't take cues from other people that aren't found in here, that are reinterpreting here about who sex is between or how sex should be done, or oh wow, if you tried this. Like I've even known people like, oh well watch, let's watch porn with our spouses because they have, don't do that. That's dishonoring to God, that's dishonoring to your spouse, that's dishonoring yourself. Anything that goes outside your marriage dishonors God and the person you're with and yourself. End of story. Doesn't mean you can't get some help. Doesn't mean you can't talk to someone. If you're, if you're struggling, maybe you've been marred by this stuff. 
the men's healthy sexuality, transforming, transforming betrayal, CR, celebrate recovery, all these things that we have, go get help. You don't just have to be an addict to go to men's healthy sexuality. Let's stop saying that like on the announcements because it's not just about addicts. It's about people that are struggling that have unhealthy sexuality is what it's for. So that's what these groups are for. You don't have to be the scourge of the earth or the lowest of the low or just, you know, that's all you do every day. But anywhere that it's broken, we wanna help you. But also just know God loves you wherever you are in this. And if you have questions about this stuff, submit them, ask them. Bring them in a couple weeks because we wanna answer questions. I know some of this is really hard. I know some of this is really hard to hear. Students, you're like, I don't wanna puke today. But I'll tell you, God means for you to wait. No matter what, it doesn't honor God for you to not wait. It's not his plan for you. It's not his best for you. It'll never get you anywhere but pain. It'll bring shame. It'll bring scars you never wish. And there's no one who wishes, I don't think, when they got married, they're like, oh man, I'm so glad I made out with these other 10 people or I had sex with those other people. Like Most people, if they're looking at the eyes of Jesus and the one they love, wish that it was just for them and wish that they were just for me. Because that's, that's what God means, that we're to be holy. We're to be a people set apart that think about these things differently. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna have some prayer teams. We're gonna do this a little different today. I got this suggestion, yeah, I think it's good. If you just wanna come up and spend some time praying on the altar, come up from here over, just go by yourself. If you want prayer, there'll be people kind of standing around the room if you want prayer today for any part of this, any part of the message or worship, or maybe you came in here with something completely different and you just need a touch of God today, we wanna pray for you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you meet us in this place? I know a lot of words were said, but Lord, I pray that um, your truth came forth, that you desire for us to be unified to you and to each other in healthy ways. Lord, help us to honor you with our bodies. Help us to honor our spouses with our sexuality, with our desires, with our demands. Help us to not be demanding. Help us to be submitted. We love you and we bless you. And it's your mighty and powerful name we pray. And I pray everyone gets home safely today. Amen.